I'm super grateful. We love any opportunity to talk about kids and families in crisis. I think it's a defining issue of our generation and we want to tell the story as often as we can. Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Wow, you guys, today's episode is a nonprofit spotlight, and their work is so impactful. Not only that, but you'll hear some innovative ways they're funding the nonprofit by creating fair trade, living wage jobs. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about a new opportunity for those of you who are ready to get serious about your grant writing career in 2021. I'm opening up a limited number of spots for a VIP program called Fast Track to Grant Writer. This is an eight-week live small group coaching experience where you'll learn how to be the go-to grant writer in your community. Fast Track to Grant Writer is full of stuff the books won't tell you. It's like miracle grow for grant writers. If you're ready to invest in your future and in your community, then sign up today. Enrollment for this round closes December 31st, 2020, and it will not be offered again at this price. Plus, if you join by December 15th, you get a bonus one-to-one coaching call with me. You can get all the details and sign up at teresahuff.com VIP. Now let's get to this interview. For today's nonprofit spotlight, I'm talking with Trace Thurlby of the Global Orphan Project. I saw an article featuring this nonprofit in the newspaper and knew I had to learn more. Trace is the president of the Global Orphan Project. For more than 25 years, he's served in the military, the business world, and in ministry. Despite the different challenges and missions that he's worked with, Trace's focus has remained the same, helping organizations and individuals succeed. Now he's doing exactly that at the Global Orphan Project, where he's living out his passion to serve at-risk children and families. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes to learn more and how you can be a part of this amazing work they're doing. I hope you are as blessed by this interview as I was. Thank you for taking time to do this. Yeah, no, thank you. I saw your article and I was like, I want to learn more about that. And I think people need to hear about it. It would be a great nonprofit to showcase. Well, I'm super grateful. Yeah, um, we love any opportunity to talk about kids and families in crisis. I think it's a defining issue of our generation and we want to tell the story as as, as often as we can. Yeah. And I love any cause that helps kids and families. Mm -hmm. And through my grant writing over the years, that's, those are the ones that I'm always drawn to the most. And what you're doing is so unique and some really cool ways. Great. Great. Go project is half ministry and half marketplace, right? It's one organization The goal is to break the orphan cycle through the power of community, commerce, and the love of Jesus. 
So on the, on the ministry side, we basically support churches and school leaders that come into the lives of kids and families that are at risk and wrap around them. And we do it primarily through a online platform called Care Portal, which is kind of like Uber, like an Uber or an Airbnb for child welfare. Local social workers enter needs of at-risk kids and families, and the system shares that with churches in real time to a collaborative Christian community. So that's on the ministry side. On the marketplace side, we make t-shirts. And the t-shirt is really a vehicle for a living wage job. GoX is our marketplace platform. So it's a fair trade certified living wage apparel company. So if you came to our home office, you'd see one third office space and two thirds warehouse, print shop, fulfillment, inventory. So if you just kind of think big, big picture, the Global Orphan Project, breaking the orphan cycle through the power of community, commerce, and love of Jesus. On the community or ministry side is Care Portal, and on the commerce marketplace side is GoX. It's all one organization, one mission, but two major initiatives. Because a lot of children in the world are what's called economic orphans. Their parents just can't afford to take care of them. But if they had a living wage job, they can stay with their family. So that's really the connecting point right there. If we can keep kids with their family through providing living wage jobs or scholarshipping their school fees, we want to do that. But if we can't help keep with their, we want to provide a safety net in a lot of places in the world that don't have safety nets. So domestically, Care Portal is active in 21 states. Internationally, we're in 11 countries. Wow. Okay. So you're in a lot more than just Kansas City. Yes. You're in several states. Okay. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. So then how do you tap into those resources locally? Do you have teams on the ground? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. So again, I mean, you could go to careportal.org and just, and just look at it right now. Um, 51 other nonprofits use CarePortal in their communities to help connect church, state, and child. So we share the platform. And when, when we want to go into a community, we feel called to go into a community where there's not what we call an implementing partner or a bridge ministry that's already serving in that space, we will put boots on the ground. But we'd rather just empower someone that's already been there with use of Care Portal because they have local credibility, they have relationships in place, it takes us two to three years to get where someone already is if we can just find them and share the platform with them. Right. I've seen that be more effective with certain grant foundations as well. Mm -hmm. That's why they want to redistribute grant funds to other local foundations because right. they're already on the ground and doing yeah. that. So it's the same concept. Absolutely. That's, wow, so needed in so many communities. Are you looking to expand or are you trying to strengthen yeah. where you are right now? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question. But the, um, the reality is in these communities, the pieces are in place, right? I mean, it, it, let's just talk about the United States. Child welfare is a $30 billion industry. There are children and families that are at, at risk in every community. And in every community where we serve, there are Christian churches. 
that have a biblical mandate to care for them. There are 335,000 Christian churches in the U.S. And everybody has internet access, right? So what we do is we just create a platform that connects them, that brings them together. And so we absolutely want to expand. You know, there are um, 430,000 children in foster care in the U.S., but 50% of them live in 5% of the counties. So we call that our 50 and 5 strategy. And so this year, churches connected through Care Portal will serve about 30,000 kids. You know, last year that number was 18,000. Next year, we hope it's going to be 45,000. And long term, our vision, and it's not just our vision, it's a lot of people in this space. We believe that if 10% of the Christian churches in the country, 35,000 churches, will invest in their neighbor, not necessarily through Care Portal, but certainly welcome through Care Portal, then, then we really feel like that the church will end the foster care crisis, that we can actually change the shift from children waiting for families to families waiting for children. So that's, that's the goal. That's an amazing initiative. And that's a lot of growth over time. Yeah. Even just to this point, but then continuing. I mean, I could see where that trajectory could just keep going. Yeah. I mean, right now we're in 21 states, which is, you know, what, 42% of the states in two Canadian provinces, but we're only in about 7% of the counties and we're only in not even 1% of the churches, right? So this is year six. Um, to date, those 2,200 churches have served 78,000 children, and the concept has been proven, right? The church can do this work, and church-state partnerships do work. So now it's how do we scale it, and we feel like we scale it um, through collaborative partnerships and through technology. So backing up then a little bit, what led you to this point? Yeah, Well, organizationally, in 2003, there was a businessman whose name was Mike Fox, and he got invited on his first missions trip to Southeast Asia. And everybody thought that Mike was kind of a a wealthy philanthropist, and and he looked the part. He was 48 years old. He had a happy marriage. He had um, wonderful kids. He was part of a team that had taken a company public. But he had grown up with a lot of instability. You know, in fact, by the time he was 16, he had been um, in situations where he had three different birth certificates. And so when he saw these kids in Southeast Asia that were living in instability and, and vulnerability, he identified with them on a very personal level and came back and founded C3 Missions International, which was the precursor to the Global Orphan Project. And for, um, you know, the next seven, eight years, it was all international. And it was about building homes for some of the most vulnerable children in some of the poorest countries in the world and connecting them to the local church. So the local church would, would spiritually adopt them, spiritually be their family. You know, we're not an adoptive agency. And in 2010, Mike and I were talking, and he said, Trace, we're, we're supposed to grow. And I was like, Mike, you know, we're growing. We're, we're moving into Africa. We're adding school sponsorships. We're adding a job creation initiative. Like, like what does that mean? We're supposed, we're supposed to grow. And he said, I, I don't know, but it's not any of the things that you said. He said, I'm going to go back to Southeast Asia. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to walk on the ground where 
God first pierced my heart for these kids. And he did that. And, and when he came back, I said, Mike, how'd the trip go? And he said, it was great, but it wasn't what I thought. He said, I was very convicted before I even was wheels down in Southeast Asia that I had driven past kids on the way to the Kansas City airport that needed family. He said, we're going to keep doing everything we're doing internationally, but, but we're going to grow home. Wow. And when he said grow home, and then, and then his next line was, we're going to help the church care for the U.S. orphan. And I was just like, are there U.S. orphans? And in fact, there are. You know, there are, there are the 430,000 kids, roughly, that are in foster care at any given point in time. But 100,000 of them have actually had their parents' rights terminated by the court. No, they are officially parentless. They're wards of the state. They are U.S. orphans. Oh, my. And so this whole new world opened up to us, and we thought, well, we're just going to tell the church, hey, there are more than 800 orphans, children available for adoption in the Kansas City metro area, and we expect the church is just going to rush in. And it was, it was um, a non-starter, and we just failed right out of the gate. But several people on our team started fostering, as a result of this, God was moving on many of us individually. And one of them, a guy named Adrian Lewis, was praying. He was fostering, and it was just a very difficult ministry. He was saying, Lord, why is it so difficult to get to and to care for these kids that supposedly nobody wants? And he had a software background, and he gets this idea, and he just grabs a pen and writes it on this scratch sheet of paper of this connective platform where social workers will enter the needs of kids and families that are at risk, and they'll be shared in real time, vetted with this collaborative Christian community. And he brought it in and showed it to, to myself and, and our CEO, Joe Kinetic, and we looked at it and we thought, that's the best idea any of us have ever had, I and mean, that's so obviously from the Lord. So that became a reality in 2015. So five years after the call to grow home, God gave Adrian the idea for Care Portal. And, and today, you know, in its sixth year, the church has helped 78,000 kids, and we feel like it's just the beginning. That's incredible. And, you know, that has to be God's timing because if it had been any sooner, the technology may not have been in place to execute that. So really, for him, he probably was frustrated thinking, I know this is real, why isn't it coming together? But it was. It just wasn't time yet, but there was other groundwork being laid in the meantime. Yeah, that, that's really a great comment because in that space, right, you have government and you have the church and those are very established institutions. Neither one of them is really accused of being overly innovative and they're super busy, right? And, and the whole type of connective platform now is something that we just take for granted. I heard someone say one time that when we were growing up, they said, you know, don't talk to strangers and don't get in the car with a stranger. And, you know, now we, we, we call a stranger and we get in their car, you know, with, with Uber. So, right. so everything that we've done, we're open to connecting through a platform. And, and we like to think of, you know, what Uber did for calling a taxi and Airbnb did for planning your vacation. Care Portal can do that for how we collaborate in caring for local kids and families in crisis in our own communities. 
That's such a cool metaphor. That's a really good comparison to show what you're doing. Really, I think social workers, they are maxed out and they don't have the resources, the funding in their departments. They're stretched thin. So that's great to give them a place to go to have that backup and that support and to know that that's there. Yeah, I think that the whole equation around caring for children needs to change, right? For a long, long time, a few very committed people have been doing most of the work. And that's true of adoptive families and foster families. It's also true of caseworkers. There's some amazing people that work for child welfare agencies and they burn out because they are caring too much you know, of the ministry themselves. Which is really unfortunate. And it's unsuccessful, right? It's broken. No one can look at the system and say that it's working. So we found that agencies have been very willing partners, very receptive partners. And as the church steps in and businesses step in and other people step in to invest in the lives of kids and families in crisis, it goes from a few people doing too much to a lot of people just doing something. Right. Right. And everyone can do something. And that is an equation that will work. Mm-hmm. And we're not all trained in social work. No. We're not all equipped for those front lines no. and to know what to do and how to help. And we're not called to that. But that's a way that we all can team up and help and support them. And that way, like you said, they don't burn out or be spread too thin. That's right. I mean, just for your listeners, a, a quick example is let's say that a a child goes to elementary school, they're dirty and they're flagging and they're emotionally distant and a school counselor is concerned about them. Well, they will pick up the phone and they will call child welfare. That's called a hotline. And that happens more than 4 million times a year that a family in America gets hotlined. So the social worker will then take down the information and they may do an investigation. So, Let's say that the social worker makes a home visit and they realize, well, this is a single mother and she lost her job and her water bill is in arrears and their water got shut off a week ago. And that's why this kid is a little dirty and, you know, kind of downtrodden. Well, at that point in time, if your water got shut off or my water got shut off, it's it's okay. But if you're hotlined and someone comes to your house and your water is turned off, that's not okay. There are laws that say that's not okay. So that social worker has to figure out how to get that water bill paid and the water turned back on, or they have to remove that kid from their home. So they'll go back to their office. And in the old days, they just had to figure out with their own network and limited resources, how to get the water bill paid. And they type up a case and all of this is the same as it's been for 40 years up to this point. But with Care Portal, they're able to take that case report and enter it into the system that it then gets shared with churches that say, I'm willing to receive an email about kids and families in crisis in my own community. And they, they share that with their congregation however they want. And two out of three times, somebody in that church network is saying, I can pay that water bill. I got a little bit of extra money with my tax return, or I've got a spare bed or a car seat or a baby crib. And I can support that family. To your point, Teresa, we're not all called to foster. We're not all called to adopt, but we can support those that are engaging and we can receive an email about a a kid or a family that's in crisis and consider helping. And that's really what Care Portal is doing. Instead of having to jump into the deep end of being a foster family, people are able to kind of wade into the shallow end and receive an email 
about kids and families that are in crisis and then decide, you know, whether, hey, whether this one is for me or not. Mm -hmm. And then that could lead to more, but that opens the door and it starts at least understanding what's happening on the front lines and more awareness. I think it's easy to be oblivious to that because these numbers you're saying today, I mean, I know there are foster kids and lots of them, but those statistics, it's unreal how much of that is happening right here. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I have a really good friend and he's trying to exhort us to say, hey, stop talking about the national numbers. He says they're, they're too overwhelming. He said, break it down by county. You know, and I was speaking at, at College of the Ozarks and there are uh, just a few hundred kids in foster care system and less than 100 that are available for adoption. And that feels more manageable. But I kind of say, I think we should talk about both of them, right? I I think we should talk about the national numbers so that we can realize this is a real crisis that's facing our country and not just our country. It's, It's a global crisis, but it does take place at the local level. And so none of us are going to have a national or global impact, but we can have a local impact, right? And, and that's really the model of the Global Orphan Project is kind of a, a global vision, but local care. From a grant writing perspective, I have to agree with you on the statistics. I think it's important to share both mm-hmm. because you need to see the big picture and know that this is a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. But if we can help our local piece of it, we can help with that bigger problem. So they are related. And I agree that you do need to have both. My heart was initially pierced for uh, children internationally. And my wife and I have four kids, two of them are adopted from China, and and I've seen the need on four continents around the world, and and it is severe, and we are very blessed to live in America. The problems that we face are much smaller in comparison, by and large, than any other country in the world. So some people think, gosh, my dollar goes farther in India or in, in East Africa or in Haiti. And, and there's, there's some truth to that. But other people are like, I want to care for my own, you know, before I fly across the ocean. And again, I, I think it's a both and, but if someone is called to a specific space, that's great, right? If you're called to invest in your local community, invest there, right? If God has pierced your heart for international adoption or international orphan care ministry, that's great. The reality is that, to your point, we're not all called to everything, but we can all do something. And, and the idea that children are an amazing place to invest, right? They are never going to be more formative than in, in their early years. And I would say, as we look just domestically, a domestic example is the foster care system is ground zero because children that are in foster care, if they don't receive support, the foster care system has a direct line to the prison system. The foster care system has a direct tie to trafficking of children, to substance abuse, to homelessness, to high school dropouts, and all kinds of things. So the reality is we're either going to invest in our kids now, or we're going to uh, you know, be trying to deal with the problems that are much more significant later in their lives. Yes, it's a big undertaking, but it is important. And I've heard so many stories and read biographies of kids who 
one person intervened or they had that one teacher or that one foster family that that made all the difference and they became a healthy, successful adults because of that journey. And yeah, it really does. I think we sometimes overlook or discount that. But what you said, the need is real in both places and we need people supporting both places, whether it's international or local. I understand their reasoning for one or the other and we need both. So I agree on that front, that's important. And, and children are a very unifying, you know, just reality or unifying truth in our society. There's this quote from Nelson Mandela that said, there's no keener revelation of a society's soul than how it cares for its children. And I found that just resonated with me. Children cut across so many different lines, you know, whether you're it's a white or black or rich or poor or urban or rural or domestic or international. There are very few people that won't agree on the value of helping a child. And that's one of the things that I like to say about Go Project because people will say, well, I have a passion for education or I have a passion for domestic or international or HIV clinics or, you know, I want to help kids. Um, age out of foster care and get life skills and vocational skills. I love that. I love hearing about where their passion is. Really, the only people that we have a hard time partnering with are people that don't think kids are important, right? If you just don't like kids in general, then we don't have many partners like that at the Global Orphan Project. No, I don't expect you would. But other than that, we love partnering with almost anybody because all of it is, it all matters. Right. And it takes that collaborative effort mm -hmm. to make it all come together and to make it happen. None of you could do it by yourselves. It takes all those pieces. Yeah. And we talk a lot about foster care, but I think the goal, if we're going to empty out the foster care system, is not just to find more foster care families. In fact, I think that that's not going to work in a vacuum because our society is in trouble with respect to the family. There is a hole in the bucket and kids and families are falling through the cracks and they are swamping our foster care system and overwhelming the number of families that have signed up to be foster care families. And so what we're hoping to do is reach upstream through the church and have the church invest in the lives of those kids and families before those children are coming into the foster care system. In fact, 60% of the needs that are entered into the care portal system are called preventative. They're helping kids and families before foster care. And we think that is the key. So if we can slow the number of children that need foster care, then we don't have to multiply the number of families exponentially that are willing to invest. And if we can keep a kid with the, their family, that's best. That's God's best. I love foster families, but almost all foster families will tell you that it would have been better if the child could have gotten healthier care, better care upstream. And so that's really an important part, I think, of caring for kids and families and people are starting to embrace. And I think Care Portal and other innovative, connective platforms are helpful in that way. Essentially, you are looking at what's already established in the community, which the church is a huge organization as a whole with a lot of people involved in it. And you're tapping into that well-established resource and using that to help supplement and connect. Yeah, that's exactly right, Teresa. I mean, we really are a connecting pipe. We connect a church that has a biblical mandate 
to love their neighbor and care for the orphan and the widow with a child and family in crisis, mm-hmm. right? So the idea is in every community, there are children and families in crisis. In every community where we serve, there are Christian churches that have a biblical mandate to love those kids and families. What if we just can connect them, right? What if we can connect them over and over and over at the right time in a way that promotes dignity, in a way that can facilitate relationship? This sounds bad, but at Go Project, we don't really do much ministry. We just do a lot of connecting because we do believe that the church is God's plan to share the love of Jesus with the world. So we don't need to try to supplant the church. We just need to support the church. Mm-hmm. And we do believe that the church can do it and is doing it. And not only do we think that's good for the kids and families in the community, we actually think it's good for the church too. Mm-hmm. We think the blessings go both ways. The true blessings always go both ways. That as people invest in the lives of kids and families that are at risk, that their whole view of the world begins to change, right? That they become less materialistic, less individualistic. They get a bigger view of family. We truly believe that God has has raised up these children that have been left behind by the world, and he's sending them to the doorstep of the church to purify and unify the church. And how the church receives those children and families will be a defining issue for our generation. And you would not be able to recreate any of those pieces no. yourself no. from the ground. I mean, that would be an impossible no, I mean, undertaking. Such a great point. I mean, you know, think about if we were going to establish a nonprofit that would care for children around the world, right? They would have to have a global reach and local presence. They would have to speak, there are more than 2,000 languages spoken on the continent of Africa, right? They would have to have teachers and caregivers and drivers and security people and finance people in our nonprofit. There would have to be an altruistic motive to invest in people that can't pay you back. Not to even mention the amount of funding it would require. Exactly, exactly. And, and the property it would take and the facilities that it would take, the organization it would take. I mean, one of our kind of things that we smile at is that would take hundreds of years to build. And then we say, well, actually, it would probably take 2,000, right? And God has already built that. So why don't we just get behind what he's already done and help? Because they're busy, right? The church is busy. They, they're not just doing this, they're doing 50 other things, right? But if we can make it easier for them to invest in the lives of kids and families, if we can bring those families into their inbox with a vetted need that's pressing right now and bring it to a community, then that reduces a lot of the hurdles that it would take for them to find that family and understand the details and plug in. Sometimes people just need to be told what the need is. That's right. They just need to know. They want to help. They'd be happy to help. They just didn't know it existed or they don't know how. So you're bringing the how to them and simplifying it so they can do it quickly and easily and still be involved. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they could go to careportal.org right now. So it's just careportal.org and click on the map. And you can just right now click on the various needs and you can see the case file for that need. You can see what the situation is of that family in need. You can see what churches it's been sent to. You can see when churches respond. And I think it's 
there are two things. It's knowing that there is a need and also knowing that it's a legitimate need. Right. You know, I think that's important to people. And so that that's part of the system is that every need that gets entered in a care portal has had a social worker that's vetting it. I think that's a big piece and probably a big reason for your success is just building that trust factor of knowing that if we support this financially, the dollars are going to be used where you say, and it's going for good use. That's right. That's right. And we're extremely grateful because we have a anonymous group of donors that we call our founder circle, and they give to cover our general and administrative costs at the ministry. So every dollar that's given to the care of children, every dollar that's given to program services, 100% of that goes to program services. None of it goes to our GNA. So we, we call that the 100% commitment. That's tremendous. We're very grateful for that. Without the generosity of the founder circle, we, we wouldn't have that. Right. That's unusual and such a blessing. I've worked with nonprofits and of course they do try to keep administrative costs down as much as possible because it does need to go towards programs. But the reality is you have staff, you have office expenses, you have all those things that have to be covered. That's right. And you want good staff, right? right? I mean, you know, it, there there is some irony there. It's like, well, we want to give to a nonprofit that spends as little as possible on GNA. Really? I mean, be, because because you have to make some investments to invest in your team. Yes. And to, and to invest in training and, and to make sure that that team is the right team to help oversee the program services. So certainly we try to be smart and efficient like other nonprofits. But the reality is that founder circle investment allows us to say, we're going to invest in our team so that other donors know that 100% is going to program services. And if our investment in the team is very reasonable and it's in line with industry standards, and we keep our eye on it, but the founder circle allows us to focus on, on the child and the family. Right. It gives you that flexibility there to know that you can exactly. provide the support you need on the back end, because the reality is you have to have that support. And it, you know, I'm glad you brought that point up because a lot of times people think nonprofits should operate on a shoestring and they just have this impression of that. And really, you wouldn't do a business that way. If you had a business, you would hire industry rates, you would want a nice office, you would have things according to what the standard is with your type of business. So nonprofits, for some reason, people have this impression that they should just be broke when no, they shouldn't be frivolous or extravagant, but you do need to have good, solid staffing and those administrative things to support it in the back end. Yeah, I'd love, you know, just as people hear, a lot of times people hear this and they're like, I agree with all that, but what, what can I do? Like, what can I actually do to help? Good question. And so we talked about going to careportal.org and you can sign up to receive needs. And, and take a look at those. You could sign your church up. Those are some really good things that people can do. Um, another thing, you know, with Christmas coming up, we underestimate the power of our purchase. And so one of the things that we realized as we started to get close to these kids and families is we realized that their stories are very um, individualized. And some kids just have nothing. They absolutely have nothing. And they, and they need, uh, you know, a level of care that's quite significant. But other families are right there on the brink. 
of being able to make it and being able to be healthy, independent families, most of them that are right there on the edge, they need a living wage job. The economic orphan is a reality, especially globally. And so one of the things that we did is we thought, well, why don't we create businesses that provide living wage jobs? And then we can hire parents in the community and through the dignity of work, they can keep their kids with them. They can keep their families together. And so that has turned into goex.org, G-O-E-X.org. And it is a fair trade certified living wage apparel company that sells everything from t-shirts to fleece to cardigan sweaters. All of it is made with U.S. fabric. That fabric is shipped down to Haiti where it is cut and sewn in a fair trade certified manufacturing facility where people make two times living wage and then that's shipped back here to Kansas City where we can do screen printing and fulfillment. So if just people are looking for a, a stocking stuffer, you know, for a sibling over Christmas or if they're looking for uh, their 5K t-shirts or their vacation Bible school t-shirts or their family reunion t-shirts, we would love for the chance to earn their business. And all of this rolls back into the nonprofit. So GoX looks to hire young adults that have aged out of orphan care. We look to prevent kids from going into orphan care by employing their parents. And we look to become a donor to the Global Orphan Project. And I think the, the team that's led by Jessica Ray, who's much more fashionable than I am, thank goodness, I think she's done a, a really nice job. If people would go to goex.org and take a look, I bet they'd be pleased, not just at what they see, but they're also going to be pleased with what they've done. You know, it, it is a look good, feel good kind of thing, knowing that you didn't just get a cardigan sweater or a really cool t-shirt but you supported the living wage throughout the supply chain so that parents could provide for their kids. Right. It's shopping you need to do anyway, right. but what a great way to really benefit and feel good about it and help someone else with their job. That's right. Wow. That is so cool. What do you think are your biggest challenges as far as moving forward or reaching out and trying to figure out your next steps? What are you facing next? Yeah, I mean, I, I think on the uh, on the marketplace side, you know, our biggest customers as we started the year, we had uh, Chris Tomlin as a customer. We had Christian Alliance for Orphans. They had a huge conference as a customer, and we had uh, Feed My Starving Children. They were all three wonderful organizations um, that that gathered big groups of people together, and we were honored to provide their T-shirts. And with COVID they haven't been able to gather big groups of people together. So from a marketplace side, uh, we're really hustling, you know, to, to get sales. So that's something we love to get the word out, recognizing that it's probably going to be more smaller orders than it was in the past. And so we're, we're doing guerrilla marketing and hustling on that, on that end. On the ministry side, you know, the, the reality is, is these kids and families that, that need help, they're not easy to get to. Like we talked about, 25% of the kids in foster care live in 1% of the counties. And so you're talking about LA, Houston, Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, 
And when you go into those communities, those are behemoths. I mean, there is so much going on. And, and so to try to, to serve that community as a new member of kind of the child welfare ecosystem is, um, is a challenge. But we're going to stick. It, we're going to stick with it, and and we really believe that as people see that it's working, that there's going to be momentum that grows. So awareness is is a big deal. But at the end of the day, this whole ministry operation is going to rise and fall on one thing, and it's local churches caring for local children and families. So that's our focus. And if 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 we can be faithful in helping support that church-to-child connection in the right way at the right time, then we think God is going to honor that and it'll move forward. If we don't, then we can't expect it. Mm-hmm. And I think continuing to tell your story and just getting it out there of how you're helping and people understanding what you're doing will be compelling and you'll get more word of mouth that way too. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we're so grateful for you and others that are willing to share your platforms to talk about kids and families. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. And I mean, this has been so informative and such a cool way to really think about how you can set up a nonprofit and you're doing it somewhat locally, but also internationally. That was what I kind of thought at first was cool. But then to see these two big arms that you have of helping on the ground and then connecting the churches and just such an amazing setup that you have. And like you said, being the connector for you was the piece where you were called to fit. And so not all nonprofits are that way. Some are front lines, but some are more of that connector. So I hope it gives others ideas of how they could serve in their communities, maybe in different ways or to join in with what you're doing locally. Something like that, I think would be such a great way to jump in. And if nothing else, go shop. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. They can go to goex.org, careportal.org. And, um, you know, and if people just want to talk about it, we are not a big organization. I respond to every email that comes in uh, to info at goproject.org. And so anyone that wants to talk about investing in the lives of kids and families, that's our privilege and and our joy. And um, in trying to get behind leaders in their community. That's how we think that this is going to grow. Mm-hmm. It's going to be collaborative. It's going to be very local and it's going to spread. Well, I certainly hope it does. I'd like to close with just tell us, is there some meaningful resource or book, quote, something you've shared several yeah, already, yeah. but is there something in particular that has been meaningful to you? Yeah. So um, just about five years ago, my family adopted our, our fourth kid, our second ad- adoption. And it's a crazy story, maybe for a, another day. But um, when we adopted him, he was almost 14 and he was from China and he was legally blind. And it was, um, it was crazy, but it was, it was God's will for our family. And this verse from Philippians 1.6 has been my my kind of rock and it it says he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it right that jesus has started a good work and he's faithful to complete it and and that's that's what we hold on to you know as, as we look at what he's doing 
through the local church, as we look at what he's doing through generous donors, as people who, you know, are willing to shop it differently because they care about the worker. We know that he has started a good work and he's faithful and it doesn't depend on us. It's something that he is doing and we just get to be involved. He's invited us in. There's joy here. There's life here. And there's a great end to the story. So um, I'd just like to share that with your listeners, that Jesus is faithful. I bet if you look at your life in the right way, you can find that he's started some good works there. And as we trust in him and ask him to complete it, he's faithful to do that. Amazing. Yes, that's one of my favorites. And thank you for sharing that. And thank you for doing all this good work and continue. Just keep doing it. I know there are days where work like this is, it's a roller coaster, I'm sure, but keep at it. Keep doing the work. Thanks, Teresa. God bless you. If you're looking to jumpstart some Christmas shopping, or you just want to support this amazing work, go to gox.org. I'll link to everything in the show notes. Check this out and see if you can support their nonprofit work. Don't forget about the VIP program. Sign up today to save your spot at TeresaHuff.com slash VIP. If you love this show and you learn something new about being the type of grant writer the world needs so you can create a ripple in your community, please go leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts today. Thanks for listening. Now go change your world.